Alright, ladies and gentlemen, it's never bad to know your enemy. And, you know, sometimes you come across great people that cover the uh, team that you root against most nights. And today we sit down with Wayne Scanlon talking about the Ottawa Senators. He covers them for sportsnet.ca. Uh, Wayne, how's the day treating you? Uh, pretty good so far, but it's early, so lots of things could still go wrong. <laughs> well, <laughs> I was very happy to get to have you on, obviously. You know, we want to pick the brains of teams that we're going to be facing, I guess, in this Canadian division. And, you know, the Ottawa Senators, we'll talk about them a lot later on, but they seem to be a footnote to everybody else. And, you know, we talked just a moment ago before we jumped on here about, you know, they shouldn't be. There's a lot of moves they made, but we'll jump into that in a little bit. I want to ask you, though, right out of the gate, for you, getting into hockey, what got you into hockey and what has kept the flame going for so long? Well, you know, a typical Canadian growing up in, in Toronto, I, I I think I knew the names of the Maple Leafs before uh, I knew all my family members. You know, it, it was just <laughs> kind of in, it, w- it was ingrained in you and the Saturday nights and the Wednesday night broadcasts and and all of that. I'm so old that I, I can remember when the Maple Leaf games, they didn't come on, they didn't broadcast the the full broadcast. You join them in progress about 8 o'clock. And so oh, wow. you'd, you'd get there partway through the first period. One time they had a 6 nothing lead over Boston. <laughs> By the time we sw- we switched on the, um, the broadcast and they ended up winning that game 11 to nothing. But So, you know, the typical Canadian with a, with a hockey background. And I came out of university and um, my first job was at a weekly paper in Alliston, Ontario actually started up a sports section there and covered the Junior C, Allison Hornets. And from there, moved up to, to Barrie and was in news for a while and came to Ottawa in, in 1987. And we've been on a sports beat uh, ever since. Uh, retired from the Citizen a couple of years ago and have been contributing to sportsnet.ca. So I've been, I've been around the Senators right from the beginning, you know, when they were bidding to to get a franchise, and then they, they kind of shocked the hockey world by by winning the bid in 1990, and uh, 1992 played their first game against the Montreal Canadiens and, and shocked them as well that night. So it's it's been fun, lots of ups and downs, and a few bankruptcies along the way, lots of different GMs and owners and coaches, and of course lots of player transition, but uh, you know, I, I think people here they get criticized for not always turning out, but I do think there's a good hardcore group of fans, and they've had a lot of disappointments, including not not getting a new arena built downtown. And hopefully that may that may happen uh, one day down the road. Do you see the the ultimate roadblock in certain things happening with this team? And I don't want to get you in any kind of trouble here, but you know, we all know Eugene Melnick is not exactly the the easiest guy to a work with and b you know be around in the media because obviously the things he says and does really can be detrimental to the team and, and the NHL. So I'm wondering uh, to ask you off the hop about the arena, you know, that not getting done, do you think it has a lot to do with, uh, you know, who's at the helm of the team? Well, you know, I think so. And I think the, the business partnership that he tried to strike with another group in, in town, they, they just kind it just kind of fell apart. And, you know, both sides are pointing fingers. And, you know, the, the team has had to sort of retrench and, in Canada, and, and, and here we are. I do think that eventually, down the road, it's, it's a it's a possibility that it could happen. But you know, I I, I will say on uh, Mr. Melnick's behalf, in the last year or so, I think he's done a, a really nice job of kind of staying out of the way, um, not getting in his own way, um, not 
not speaking out of turn as much. Uh, he's kept a lower profile and I think let the team and, and the rebuild uh, under Pierre Dorian, the general manager, kind of happen. And, you know, I, I think grudgingly people are accepting that this guy's going to be the owner for a while. And I think if they can sign Brady Kachuk to a long-term deal the way they did with Thomas Shabbat, then it might signal that, hey, they're not just going to be in permanent rebuild here. They're not just going to, you know, not re-sign all their good players like we've seen so many go through the door. Uh, that's not going to necessarily happen in the future. So that's that's one thing I'll be looking for in, in, the, in the coming season is if they can get Brady Kachuk signed to a long-term deal. Well, I look at this squad, and we'll, we'll dive into them now, obviously. And just to further your point on Eugene Melnick, yeah, you're right. He has been out of the media a lot this year, and, you know, it almost feels like he finally gave the keys to Pierre Dorian and said, here, go run the team, go figure this out, spend some money, do this, do that. And he did say that, you know, Ottawa would be getting closer to spending money within the next couple of years. So hopefully, you know, they're turning that corner that he was speaking about and they're, they're going to allow this team to flourish. And you go and get a Stutzel in the draft and, you know, you're drafting that high. The excitement was there, you know, palpability. Then you go inside of Dadanov and, you know, in the offseason you bring in a Matt Murray um, but you talk about to Chuck, and I'm wondering, you know, what does he need to see, you know, to make sure that this is long-term, you know, going to be a viable team to play on and, and, you know, see this team compete. I mean, going and getting a, a Matt Murray for your goaltender, you know, still young, um, looking to refine his game, refine himself, and he very well might do so with the Ottawa Senators. Um, and then, you know, a Dadanov, and then you talk about Thomas Shabbat and a lot of the young players that are on this team. I'm wondering what he needs to see to make sure he knows the ship is heading in the right direction. Well, that's a, that's a great question, and uh, you know, you'd love to get in that that kid's mind because uh, I just think it's so important to keep him. If you lose him, it's going to be here we go again. You know, just like Mark Stone and Eric Carlson, and Daniel Alfredson, and Kyle Turris, and Matt Duchesne, and Jean Gabriel Peugeot, and all these other prominent players in this town that, that walk through the door. You know, I, I would remind you, I don't know if you're aware, but on September the 25th, Ottawa's payroll was $42 million. And as we sit here today, it's uh, estimated $68.9 million. So, you know, I, I do think, and you've you've mentioned, you know, some of those signings, I would add to that, like uh, an Eric Gabranson and uh, uh, Josh Brown and uh, Austin Watson. Yep. Uh, these are players that were signed. Matt Murray, I think, was the most important signing, and with a, a four-year deal at $25 million, that's that's the longest term and the most money that Ottawa, you know, has spent in the past year. So I think those are significant moves. Are, are they enough to keep Kachuk around? Well, I, you know, I think it's more about what what happens to the next wave. You know, uh, is Josh Norris going to be a, a really prominent top six player? player and possibly a, a frontline center. Colin White was signed to a four-year deal, a good friend of Kachuk, so that was probably a very, very positive signing. But these, this next wave, with, you know, with Jake Sanderson and and uh, Drake Batherson and uh, Alex Formanton, like, uh, these guys, Eric Branstrom, the young defenseman that they got in the, in the Mark Stone deal, yep. you know, these guys are going to be really important down the road. And I... I, I kind of see it that, you know, the defense that they have right now is almost like a, a placeholder group. You know, Zaitsev, I don't, they, you know, they, they picked him up from Toronto because they needed 
they needed some veteran experience. But I, I don't know long term if if he's really the answer. And a, and a Mike Riley, people like this, I feel like they're veterans that are going to hold the spot until a Jacob Bernard Docker and a Jake Sanderson and a Tyler Clavin and and these young high draft picks of the Senators. Uh, they can blossom down the road. Brandstrom's a really interesting kid because some aren't convinced yet that he can make that transition into the NHL. He's uh, such a small kid and, and doesn't do great under the, the, the physical going, but as you and I both know, there's lots of good little defensemen that have found a way, and he, he does have some pretty good offensive upside. He's a beautiful skater. So it's going to be kind of fascinating to watch that transition. They've got these veterans, you know, the Dadnovs and the Galchenyuks and even Anisimov that are kind of holding places right now, but down the road, it's these young kids that were kind of terrorized Belleville, the AHL last year, in a really, really strong offensive group, and then uh, the young defensemen, including uh, three of them playing for the University of North Dakota, uh, and then plus a forward, a fourth one named Shane Pinto. So there's, there's just so many good young kids in the pipeline, it's going to be interesting to watch them develop and, and become NHL players. No, it definitely is. And, and you know, you're right. A lot of these guys will be placeholders. I mean, we've seen the same thing, you know, when Toronto kind of went through their little rebuild as well. They had guys in there that were just guys that they signed, whether it was for one year or two years, or, you know, they were just in the lineup to fill that spot until XYZ was ready or until they were ready to, you know, put out all the players that they were wanting to ice as a full team. I'm wondering for you, this year, you look at what Detroit did last year and holding a lot of their young guys back. Um, you know, obviously you want to win games. Everybody knows that. No one's going to go out anymore and say that we're tanking intentionally, et cetera, et cetera. But do you see this year for the Ottawa Senators, a shortened season, anything can happen. Um, you look at Toronto when they had the shortened season, you know, in the last lockout, they came out and they made the playoffs, you know, so things can happen. But do you think it's wise for the Ottawa Senators to push for it this year or to allow those guys one more year to develop, get another great draft pick, and be able to, again, add to the collection of young players they have and then not only have them to bring up through your system, but you also have them, if you hit on some of these guys and to chuck signs, then you have some of these guys to dangle as assets to bring in some of the pieces you're looking for that are already established players. Yeah, well, here's the here's the question to me because everything is kind of out the window in terms of a normalcy and that includes the American Hockey League so it's fine for you and I to sit here today and say you know what Eric Brandstrom he could use another year to dominate maybe down in the American Hockey League let's, let's set him aside you've got it you know you've already got six guys under NHL contracts here um, there's no need to, to kind of you know waste him or, or maybe hurt his confidence let's, let's let him develop down there but we don't even know that the American Hockey League is, is going to play, and if so, when. You know, right now they're scheduled to start games on February the 5th, but that's a league that needs these attendance. You know, they, they can't just get by playing in, the, in empty arenas all year. So I have some doubt whether or not they're going to be able to get going, and if so, um, when they might start. So my expectation is the NHL is going to allow expanded rosters. And they that have means to. you're, you're you, they absolutely have to, and it's going to it's going to limit travel. Um, you won't be having to go across the border. And Ottawa's lucky; they have a just like Toronto. You know, they've got their farm team fairly close at hand, not as close as 
Toronto, which is basically, you know, in the same city, but um, just a, you know, it's a two and a half, three hour run down the road to Belleville. Uh, so there's no borders to cross and, and that helps. But if the American Hockey League is not going and, you know, like I said, the, you know, there's a chance the NHL could get started ahead of the American Hockey League. We're still waiting for the NHL to firm up its schedule. But maybe you keep a guy like, like Branstrom uh, around and maybe some of these veterans like Anisimov or Galchenyuk, uh, you know, maybe they suffer a little bit of uh, ice time loss because you're trying to get these kids some ice time. You know, like you can't have an Alex Formanton or a Drake Batherson sitting here doing nothing. No, you We've need got, them playing. It's more important for those kids to play than it is for the veterans. You know, you know, if you're Artem Anisimov and you're not playing every night or you're in and out of the lineup, you can, you can handle it and you, you've been around the block and it's, it's no harm done and you're probably not a big piece of the future anyway. But if you're a Formanton or, or a, the Batherson, or even a Tim Stutzla, who I expect is going to be here and, and playing this season, uh, those guys have to play. And so it's going to be interesting to see how big of a roster these teams carry, how many veterans might be you know, in and out of the lineup. And these young kids, if they can go down to, to Belleville, great. Uh, and there's not a big you know, quarantine involved where they're having to sit out of the lineup because they're going through quarantine. But you know, uh, all these questions are going to factor in uh, who gets to stay and who gets to play. Well, I look at it like this, and I spoke with uh, Dennis Bernstein, who covers the LA Kings, and we we're talking about Quinton Byfield. And you know, should he go back to the OHL if they start up? Should he go here, there, or anywhere? And the big thing that we talked about was it may just be better, even if it is just a taxi squad practice squad that you're on. You're with the big team, and you're practicing. Like use Tim Stutzel for an example. You're practicing up against NHL guys. You know, brushing up against them in practice, learning the drills, learning the ways, absorbing the culture, learning what it takes to be a pro at that level. And then you take that with you, whether the league start or not. You still have that experience to draw off of, and I think that might be a bit more formidable, like you said, than them sitting and toiling and waiting for figuring things out and. You know, who knows what the NHL is going to do for expanded rosters? Who knows what they're going to use for a taxi squad? But I definitely think it needs to be bigger. And you, you also need to look at the bigger picture, too, where we talk about traveling, whether it's within Canada or whether it's the teams throughout the states. You're going to have cases pop up. So you're going to need players at your beck and call that need to get in the lineup. And like you just said, what better way for these young guys to get their feet wet than to be a part of the team and ready to roll? when called upon opposed to maybe being down in Belleville having to sit out what is I think the NHL four days and produce I think four negative tests before you can join the the team so I think that would be a detriment to any young player you know if they're not you know if they're not going to be with the big team the whole season yeah no it's uh, it's really going to be an interesting situation and unprecedented in terms of you know trying to think back to when you had a situation like this that you could kind of tap into it. We really haven't. And like Tim Stutzla, for example, like he's he's a guy that played in Mannheim against men, you know, before he was drafted, um, and, and stood up very well. Now they could have they could keep him over in Germany if they wanted. You know, he has a contract with Mannheim for this season, but, you know, he's currently, you know, off to Edmonton and gonna be represent Germany in the World Junior hockey championships. But you know, you don't want to be sending this guy all over Hell's Half Acre um, and, and dealing with quarantines if you if you decide he's not quite ready for the NHL and he's going to go back and play in Mannheim and, and maybe facing quarantine for a while before he gets to play. 
like you say, maybe he can stick around here for a while, um, get a sense of, of NHL competition practice with these guys, and I think he's going to get every opportunity to play. But it's just not as simple to be saying, well, we'll send this guy back to Europe or we'll send this guy down to the AHL because you got so many factors to consider during the pandemic. No, definitely, and if you want that player to be a part of your roster later on or whatever you want to do with him, you know, you have to go through all the quarantine processes and different things, which just complicates things beyond belief. And I think you think teams will probably want to keep as many players as they can close to the chest. You look at the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs with Nick Robertson. Um, you know, everybody wanted to see him play for Team USA. You light it up and, and go big and go home. But, you know, it's better for him to try to make the team be with the team instead of having to sit, quarantine when he gets back for those four days, miss games, miss time, miss camp and all that stuff. So it's going to be weird. And, you know, another thing for the Ottawa Senators that's kind of going to be weird is you're going to have a stabilizing force hopefully on the back end. And I want to ask you and pick your brain about this. What are your thoughts about Matt Murray? And do you think he's the right goaltender for the Ottawa Senators giving the situation that they're in, going through a rebuild and coming back. We know between the years for goaltenders is huge. And, you know, going through a rebuild with a, a younger-ish team, you know, really could take a hit to the confidence to a guy that's looking to find his game again. Well, you know, the one good thing about it, um, he's, he's a, first of all, he's very motivated because he, he had a bit of a tough year and Pittsburgh essentially lost his starting job and, um, you know, so he's he's out to prove himself. The other thing is, with a four-year deal, as you say, he's not that old. I think he's 26 years of age as yep. we speak. Um, so, you know, he, he he does have a future and probably sees a bright future with Ottawa. So, even if they have a little bit of a tough year this year, I think they're going to be better each year moving forward. And you know, the idea is to be perhaps knocking on the door for a, a playoff spot this year. That was the plan before the Canadian division reared its ugly head and now now they're probably just thinking about trying to get out of last place but um you know I, I think you know next year and the year after this could be a competitive team so i think if, if matt murray can kind of ride it out um i, I think you'll have uh decent backups uh, marcus holberg played fairly well you know last year in an emergency role and andrews nielsen you know they might not have even traded for matt murray if uh, Anders Nielsen hadn't suffered a concussion last December, and he's um, he's still having you know symptoms and, and issues, and it's not really just clear of mind yet, so that's the reason they had to go out and get Matt Murray. They really didn't have a, an established veteran, and Craig Anderson they kind of parted ways with, and you know into his 40s now, so you wouldn't expect um, him to be around much longer, and he's probably would like to play, but you know hasn't been signed anywhere. So it's it's really Matt Murray's, and I think with a with a condensed schedule, uh, if Nielsen could come back, and certainly if, if Hogberg is is ready to go, there's others, some other good young goalies in the system. But um, it's going to be Matt Murray's, and and he'll need good support because with a condensed schedule, you just can't run the starter out there every night. Now you look at this Ottawa team, and we're talking about Matt Murray, and we're talking about some of the players that are brought in, and you look at what's still available. And, you know, it's still available via UFA, um, cost you nothing but money. These guys probably would take a short deal at a lower contract hit, probably to be on the ice in hopes of maybe earning themselves a bigger payday. Um, the first guy I want to ask you about is probably a non-starter in Ottawa, but is Mike Hoffman. 
Um, you know, can score goals consistently, 28 goals a season at least. Um, you know, could definitely help out an Ottawa team on a power play. Um, different things of that ilk. Would you see Ottawa maybe extending a contract offer his way, or is that bridge completely burned? Uh, that bridge is completely burned. I, I, I don't see that happening. And I think when they when they brought in, you know, they lost some they lost some players. They lost Anthony Duclair and Tyler Ennis and Bobby Ryan, and um, they replaced them with with the likes of Dadnov and Galchenyuk. And when that happened, you know, I think you knew that Hoffman wasn't coming back, and he had that kind of Clash. It was kind of a personal clash involving partners with his his partner and uh, Eric Carlson's wife, and you know some stuff that may or may not have gone on online. And uh, it was a real ugly mess. And Mike Hoffman was traded pretty shortly after that. And down the road, Eric Carlson left as well. So I, I, I don't see uh, Hoffman coming back, but he's a guy that that could help some team for sure. Well, another couple other guys I want to ask you about. We're talking about the defense and kind of guys being placeholders and maybe not being the the players I guess of the future there's a guy like Travis Hamannick out there and Sammy Vatnin uh, guys that definitely have name value a great defenseman that would help a team like Ottawa um, wondering for you and we'll, we'll expand it beyond these two after this but those two defensemen there obviously bigger ticket names maybe you get them for a year um, they help you out or maybe you get to sign them for a long-term deal and you start evaluating the other guys you have like a Zaitsev and you know and say well maybe this isn't the guy that we need um, do you see them chasing after anything else for their roster and namely uh, Hamannick or Vatnin? No, I don't, and uh, and the reason is, you know, their defense isn't perfect, as we alluded to earlier, but they've invested so many high draft picks. Uh, you know, I went through a list last week for a piece and looked at how many have been drafted in the first or second round in the last five, six years, and there's a whole bunch. We haven't even mentioned Lassie Thompson was a, a European playing in his uh, his real first year of pro, and then those three guys at, at UND, led by Jake Sanderson, drafted fifth overall. Um, you know, and then Eric Brandstrom is another guy that they're they're pretty high on. They've got others like like Christian Willan and and uh, Christian Yaros and uh, Yaros, I'm sorry, and Lajoie. They've got they've got a lot of defense in the system. I don't see them going out and spending a lot of money unless two or three of these guys just don't pan out, and and that does happen. And maybe you sign a, a free agent defenseman that's got some upside and some some term. But I don't. The way they're sitting right now, I think they're set for this year, and I think they're going to let these young guys develop. And you know, someone like uh, Jacob Bernard Docker, I expect this will be his last year at UND, and he's going to get a real opportunity to make the team next year. And, and the same could be true of Lassie Thompson. All right. Well, that answers that question for me. Obviously, with the, with the adding to this team. So now I'm going to ask the obvious question that follows that up. Looking at this roster, looking at what you have and what may come in with young players and everything that's going to be in flux this season, do you see the Ottawa Senators ranking last in the division, or do you see them usurping an Ottawa and a Winnipeg? And everybody, in all preferences like this, everybody's very high on Connor Hellebuck, but there's a lot of turmoil going on in Winnipeg. And we all know what that does to a dressing room. We all know what that does to a team. So unless I get snuffed out and the line A stuff goes away and, you know, he's able to cohesively work with Wheeler and Shifley and all those guys that he wants to play with and, you know, get his cookies and gets to eat them too, I see Winnipeg maybe having trouble this year. And the other team that I see 
you know, Ottawa being able to overtake is the Edmonton Oilers. They didn't really do an upgrade in goaltending. Uh, that is a downfall for them, and you can only ride your two big horses for so long. Um, it's nice to have some other name value players on there, but you look at a Connor McDavid and a Leon Dreisaitl, and they will carry you pretty far. But if you don't have goaltending to stop the other team from scoring, you know, it's it's very difficult to win in this league. So I see Ottawa at least being able to uh, pass those two teams. I'm wondering, Wayne, what you think. Well, I, you know, I think it's possible. Um, and, you know, we didn't talk about Vancouver, but losing Jacob Markstrom, I mean, that, that's losing him to Calgary, I think, is, uh, is a big plus for Calgary and, and, and the question mark for Vancouver. And I, I think the way this, the, the schedule is going to be and the fact that, you know, there could, you know, touch wood that there's no illness, but it, it could happen. It could be that there are outbreaks. It's a little different having a, a bubble for, you know, a, a brief playoff run and, and run it the way they did in Edmonton last year and uh, Toronto as well when they were in Toronto. But, you know, they did a, such a great job of controlling the virus and keeping everybody healthy. But to do that with all the teams involved and possibly in different hubs and, you know, with some travel involved, I think it's going to be much more difficult. So that, that's just kind of a wild card where if, if some teams have some health issues, uh, you know, whether it's conventional injuries or related to this virus, um, then Ottawa could could be in a, you know, a very different situation. I do I do kind of like them as a dark horse. Yep. To maybe jump up a spot or two, but I, I you know I, I I can't see that they're they're really probably yet capable of running with a with a Toronto or or you know possibly Edmonton if they get on a roll can be pretty good and I think Calgary is going to be really strong. Winnipeg, you know, they, as you say, they've, they've had some issues but Hellebuck was outstanding last year oh, yeah. and they had a lot of injuries that they overcame so I, I, I don't count them out either but I think it's going to be a lot of fun and Montreal, they made a lot of moves in the offseason. Um, may not scare anybody as far as winning the, the division but they're going to be very competitive and they, you know, they've with Allen, they picked up, a, I think, a better uh, backup goalie for Carey Price, and I think you know they're going to be fun to watch. And Ottawa and their fans, they, they just love these games against Toronto and Montreal. And the, you know, so bring it on, the idea that they <laughs> might be playing each other more often. I think it's going to be a ton of fun. Well, you know, if they go with the baseball kind of thing at 3-4 and four or 4-5 you know, and five or whatever it's going to be, because I think they want to try to keep teams playing each other as much as possible you know, to keep the obviously spread and the travel, etc. Um, but no, that's going to be amazing. Just imagine watching Toronto, Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa, Montreal. You know, for three nights, or you know, out of four nights, you get to see it three times. Or even salivate over the fact the Battle of Alberta. You know, you get that, and the, just the rivalry, and how much those guys will start hating each other. It's going to have a playoff feel, and I wonder for this season if guys are going to come out more battle ready for playoffs too, because. It's a grind. This will be a different kind of grind for all of these teams. And you're right, the COVID thing throwing in there as well. It's a huge wild card because if you lose, uh, just use a Maple Leafs example, you lose Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, and say Morgan Riley uh, to being sick, you know, and they're out for two weeks because of COVID, you know, and they can't be around the team, they can't play. Who knows what they are when they get back? That's a huge loss. I mean, same thing. You lose McDavid on the Oilers, or you even go. Montreal, you lose Carey Price and Shea Weber for whatever reason. You know, what are those teams? It's all jump ball from there. And you mentioned Vancouver a second ago. For whatever reason, I feel like Vancouver is going to have a good year. 
I feel mm-hmm. like with Holpe and I feel like with Thatcher Demko, there's going to be some sort of a Holpe wanting to prove himself that he's still the guy and Thatcher Demko wanting to prove himself that he's going to be the guy. And then you can't write off Elias Pettersson or Brock Besser or any of those guys either. So, and then Quinn Hughes, I mean, you can't even, you know, yeah, using him as an afterthought at the moment, but a player like that is just absolutely phenomenal. But it is going to be fun to see all of these teams. Now, there's two things I want to ask you about coming back, and I just want to get your opinion on this. Do you think in the new provisions for this, the deal they're trying to hammer out here to get it back on the ice, that there's going to be kind of lockdown-specific uh, legislation for the teams, basically saying, you know, when you arrive at camp and you are a part of XYZ team, you cannot do this, this, or this. You're allowed to go home. You're allowed to go to the gym, the rink, here. But you can't go to the nightclub in Vancouver. You can't go to the bar in Toronto or whatever. You can't go to these certain spots. You have to do everything that's team-specific or home-based. And I'm wondering if that's going to be in there. Or are they even able to do that? I don't know that the league can dictate. Uh, you know, I think they were able to do that for that temporary bubble. I don't think you can do that for an entire season. And I think that's going to be up to the individual clubs. I mean, I live in a neighborhood with several hockey players. Um, I know where they live. I know who they are. And I know there's a few that have been under quarantine for the last 14 days. And I can tell you, their cars have not moved from their driveway. Yesterday was the first day they moved. So it was exactly two weeks that they kind of anchored themselves in. I haven't seen them outside their doors. And so these guys are behaving. and And I think they're going to get a pretty strict directive, not so much from the league as from the individual clubs and their management. And I think they're going to be told, look, if we're going to compete this year, we got to stay healthy. We can't get sick. We're going to have to do this and do that. And they're going to have their, their, their trainers are going to be involved and their coaches and, and they're going to dictate how things are going to run. And they're going to be very careful. Uh, and I, so that's, that's just going to be the way it's going to be. So you, you mentioned those players, and I'm not going to deep dive into it too, too much, but I want to ask one question on what you just said. They've been quarantining for two weeks, so would that be indicative of the fact that they are expecting an announcement hopefully this week or soon that they will be coming back, and this is basically the team saying, hey, get ready, get ready to be able to go to the facility, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, I think so, and I know there's some, uh, like, Lassie Thompson just left uh, the other day. Most of the uh, Europeans... Uh, Philip Gustafson's another goalie in the system. The, he's on his way. So I think I mean, those guys, when they get here, are going to need a couple of weeks to quarantine. But, you know, we're only mid-December. There's no way camp's starting before the end of the month. So they would they would have their two weeks. And I think the benefit for some of the American guys that came up across the border two weeks ago and are done their quarantine, now they can go and, and have a casual skate. There's already a group here that's been skating. Eric Branson and a few others have been including some, you know, Peugeot and some NHLers from other teams that still live in this area. Um, they've been on the ice, and, and they can now work out away from home. And so the sooner they're here, uh, the sooner they get the quarantine done and can get back to work. But I don't think you're going to see any camp open. You know, they talked about if if the season were to open in, in mid-January, late January, that, you know, maybe Ottawa. Ottawa might get a head start because non-playoff teams are supposed to get an extra couple of days of camp if they want. I don't see them opening before, you know, perhaps the, the 28th or 30th of December. 
but you know th this may not get going until February so you know camps may be not opening until well into January who knows we're just uh, uncharted waters here in, in your opinion you know just by what you're hearing and what you feel um, I've long said that I think it's gonna be beginning of February even before we found out there was positive things being talked about about getting back on the ice I've said this back in October uh, I thought February was the the start date for this and just because there's too many things in the way but for you Wayne when do you feel the NHL is going to be coming back to the ice is it going to be February and to further that is it going to be a 56 a 48 what is your gut telling you about the, the amount of games and when they come back well uh, I do think it'll be February and I think it makes more sense to have 48. I mean, they've done that before during past lockouts and other times. You know, kind of below that, you start to worry about the, you know, the legitimacy of a, of a season. But so I think 48 range in February seems like a better bet now than, than say 56 or 58 in the middle of January, which you know they were kind of hopeful of a little while ago. I just think we're kind of running out of racetrack here. No, we we definitely are. The the. The time and the clock is ticking, I guess, is what they say. And you, you look at everything on the other side of the end of the NHL season. If the Olympics go, you don't want to brush up against those. You have Seattle sitting in the wings waiting to be able to do moves and pay their fees and you know be able to do their expansion draft. And you have teams kind of sitting on their hands wondering what's going to happen there because you don't know what players to protect and et cetera, et cetera. A lot of different things. And it's a whole lot of reasons for the NHL other than just financially than wanting to get this done. Uh, the last thing I want to ask you, though, is uh, I want you to put your Toronto hat on for a second, your your pom-poms, and get excited about the Leafs for a minute. Um, <laughs> uh, it may be hard to do, but I want to ask you, from an outsider's perspective, you cover the Ottawa Centers, but you look at the Leafs and what they did this offseason to add some toughness, to add some veteran leadership, uh, to try to bring this team over that hump. Um, you look at a guy like Joe Thornton, he's over, you know, now coming back, but 11 points in 12 games. He's doing well. Wayne Simmons looks to be healthy, ready to go. Zach Bogosian, another guy who was a key piece for Tampa. I'm wondering, when you see the moves the Leafs have made and the players that they have, are they going to be able, not just this season, but are they going to be able to take the steps? And uh, we'll use this season as one step. Do you think they will be able to finally win a round and be able to assert a little bit of dominance as a team on paper that looks like one that should stack up against some of the best? Well, I think they're right there. You know, I, I think if they could just figure out a way, it's, you know, Tampa, it took them a couple of shots at it, right, to figure out how to be, how to have that grit. And I, I, I liken the least to the style of play of the Tampa Bay Lightning. I, I like their speed. I like their aggression. I, I, I like their style of play. I really, like, I'm, I'm an Ottawa guy here, and the Leafs are the, kind of the sworn enemy people from Ottawa, but I really like the way they've, they've built this team. Now, uh, you know, if, if they had Wayne Simmons a couple of years ago, I, I think I'd prefer that, and I think I'd prefer it if Joe Thornton was a little younger, <laughs> and Jason Spezza was maybe 32 instead of 37, but, you know, these veterans aren't going to hurt. I, you know, Joe Thornton has, has been around the block, and, and so has Jason Spezza. I think these guys are going to bring some leadership that's needed. You know, that, that that core, you know, the Austin Matthews and, and Mitch Marner. Um, Tavares is 30, but I don't know that he was able to put the team on his back. He's the captain, but, you know, he needs help. And I think 
having that veteran presence is is going to be important. And I, I do like to pick up, you know, on the, on the defense of, uh, of uh, T.J. Brody and uh, Zach Bogosian. I think Bogosian provides a lot of grit. And uh, Brody's, you know, he's still got some upside and it's going to bring some offense as well and real solid player. So I don't, I don't hate their defense, and, and I think they've got, you know, so much skill and scoring power up front that that they're going to be they're going to be a threat to, you know, to score at any at any time. Freddie Anderson again is going to be put to the test to see if he can help them get over the hump. And it's just not about performing in the regular season anymore. The Leafs have shown they can do that. It's what they can do in the playoffs, and you know, for, for their sake, I, I hope it's uh, I hope it's a step in the right direction this season, and they can they can win around. I think that's just so important to the psyche of the franchise that they. Don't just be a, a good regular season team, but a team that knows a little bit about competing in the playoffs as well. Well, I want to ask this one. You look at the um, the Tampa Bay Lightning, obviously losing to Columbus, coming back with a vengeance tour, winning the Cup. But you also look back, and I liken it to the Washington Capitals a lot. They were a great regular season team, always had trouble in the playoffs, maybe would win a round, but get up against Pittsburgh, and they would lose. Once they finally got over that hump, you know, it was that time where they actually took the steps to being that team that went on and won the Cup. I'm wondering for Toronto if this season here will give them a little bit of a mile marker of the fact maybe you get in against one of your Canadian division rivals, you face them, you get over that first round, and if you end up facing a Boston, maybe you finally get over that hump. And, you know, it'll be a Freddie Anderson, it'll be the guys that you brought in that'll help you drag across that line. Um, But I'm wondering, in your thoughts... What would a roadblock be for the Toronto Maple Leafs this year that could hinder any success that they're hoping to have with the roster they put together? Uh, you know, maybe injuries to some of those veteran players. Uh, they're not a like a super young team. Uh, anything that would happen to Freddie Anderson, that you know, they've got I guess Jack Campbell behind them, but uh, any injury there, I think, could be a, a, a real setback. They've got a, I like their depth up front, but. You know, I think if they can stay healthy, then I think they're going to be just fine. Well, one last question I want to ask you about the Maple Leafs here. Freddie Anderson going into a contract year. You guys went through it with Craig Anderson. Obviously a lot older than than Freddie, but, you know, you look at goaltenders and when they get comfortable with a team, and I'm wondering, with Freddie being in his last year, do you think it's wise for the Toronto Maple Leafs to extend Freddie Anderson or look externally for goaltending help beyond the season? Just, Just a gut feel. Well, my, my gut says it really depends on Anderson and how he plays this year. And uh, if, if we if he can be in that kind of first scenario we talked about, it's getting over the hump and not facing Boston in the first round, but facing a Canadian rival that they could maybe handle, um, and you know and move on and gain some confidence. And Freddie Anderson wins a couple of playoff rounds this year, and, and this team looks like it's ready to take that next step. I, I don't see why he can't be part of the part of the picture. Failing that, you know, I think if they take a step back, then they they will have said, "Look, we've gone as far as we can with this guy, and we got to look around." And there'll be lots of other goalies available on the market, and, and they can go in a different direction. Well, I'm hoping that Freddie stays myself, and uh, you know, I hope this season that the Ottawa Senators are really competitive and they do well by Tuchuk and get him locked up because there's nothing better than having healthy rivals. You know, it was. I'd say it was the pits when you had Montreal being good and Toronto and Ottawa being bad and then Toronto being good and Montreal and Ottawa being bad or Ottawa being good and all that. I like it when all three teams are in the mix 
and playing each other because it's exciting. The fan base is getting engaged. Everybody gets at it on Twitter. And I really hope that this season, when everything gets rolling, Wayne, I get to have you back on and we talk about a Toronto-Ottawa matchup or series and how it's breaking down. That sounds good. That would be a lot of fun, Jamie. All right. Well, I appreciate you stopping by today, Wayne, and let everybody know where they can find yourself. I know it's sportsnet.ca, but is there anywhere else we can find your work? Well, it's at HockeyScanner on Twitter, and uh, yeah, sportsnet.ca for, for regular files. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. This is Wayne Scanlon dropping by Offside today, and it's Offside Hockey Talk, where hockey comes to talk.